Well, good morning and nearly happy Thanksgiving. Uh, so I don't know where you're going to be over the next week and who you'll be with, but I hopefully you will remember those words right there, uh, that he will never fail us, he's always with us, and so forth. Hey, we're in the study on the book of Colossians, so if you got that, me finding that passage, we'll be there in a moment. But I want to ask you a personal question. I want you to try to identify maybe an area or two of your life that if you could do it over again, if you could have a makeover in this area, what would that area be? What would it look like to get made over, okay? Could be in the area of your body, a body modification. I want to shed some weight. I want to, I want to get back into those skinny jeans again. And, or, or I don't know what it, what it is. Or you, maybe you're still in the skinny jeans. You don't need to be in the skinny jeans. I don't know. So, uh, but I, I, you know, here we are going into the holidays. And it's going to be difficult because you're going to be start pie, shoving pies in your mouth. And in fact, the holidays are probably already started for some of y'all, office parties, whatever. There's a lot going on between now and New Year's. And so a lot of, lots of challenges there. But it could be some kind of body modification that you'd like to improve on. Could be um, a vehicle. Could be I, I'd like to restore an old vehicle. I'd like to get a new vehicle. I'd like to get my vehicle detailed and just get the Cheerios out of the back seat and the French fries out of between the seats. Uh, could be something along those lines. Could be that, hey, I need a makeover in my money. Uh, I don't have enough. I, I need more or I need to spend less. Uh, I need to cut up some credit cards. It's amazing the number of people who will go all year long, come to, come to the month of December, spend so much in the month of December, just in gifts and what have you, that then they'll take the next six to nine months to pay off what they spent in a matter of one month. So maybe it's a, a financial overhaul. I don't know. Maybe it's a relationship overhaul. I need to spruce it up. It's kind of dead. It's kind of flat. It's, it's kind of going nowhere fast. I mean, the dog doesn't even like coming home uh, at our house or something like that. So whatever it is, uh, how you would need a makeover in your life, I want you to think about that. And uh, the, these makeovers are important, and we have to have those times where we step back, we say, okay, what's wrong? What's right? Where do I need to move? Where, what, what needs to change in my life? And I'm convinced of this, that God wants to do in all of us, when he enters into this relationship with us, he wants to enter in to an extreme makeover role in your life. He wants to do an extreme makeover. In fact, you maybe remember that old show a few years ago that where they did home makeovers in the bus. They'd move the bus and they would show off the, the, the house on the other side. Well, I'm convinced that God wants to do an extreme makeover in you and in me as well. And he is constantly chiseling away at, at the makeover that he wants to do in our lives. And so let's look at this today in, um, in Colossians. And we're going to look at this passage in chapter 3. And the, the, the popularity of makeovers are pretty incredible since the extreme home makeover happened. We've got now Fixer Upper and Urban Oasis and Love It or Lose It, uh, our, our bathroom crashers or kitchen crashers or flip and flop or rehab. And somebody told me just, just literally backstage that there's now one based out of Bentonville. So, uh, you know, go, go, go figure. I mean, they're all over the place. We all like the idea of a new, okay, of something refurbished or something made right. Well, what does that require? What does it require for you and I to be made over? It means it's going to be probably messy. It's probably going to be painful. 
It's probably going to be costly, and it's not going to look the same, okay? If you like the way things are, then you're probably not ready for a makeover. If you're not willing to pay the price, if you're not willing to see the mess, you're probably not ready for a makeover. But I want to say this to you again. I believe that God wants to do a makeover in a beautiful way in our lives. And he's been talking about this from the beginning of Colossians in chapter 1, where he said this. He said, I'm desiring... Because you once were alienated, you were hostile in mind, you were engaged in evil deeds. That's the, that's the old you in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, 22. He says, listen, I desire why I'm here, why I'm all about, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So it is Paul's heart's desire to see believers, I believe it's God's heart's desire to see his followers to look different, to be different, to be different from the inside out, outside in, that there would be a change. In fact, one other, uh, another translation puts it like this, that we would be without a single fault. Now, that just tells me this. He's got a lot of work still to do on me, all right? I, I still have lots of faults, and I'm reminded of my faults every single day that I that I wake up. And God is trying to do this. So he's trying to do this makeover. He's trying to present us. And he also goes on to say in the same chapter, I want to present you mature in Christ. So when you come back to this book that we've been studying for several weeks now, I want you to just realize that this is what he's about. He's about seeing a makeover in us. He's about seeing us to be able to be presented holy and blameless and above above reproach and and he's wanting to present us mature mature followers of Christ that is the aim of why he's writing now today we're going to move to a different part a different section of the book if you think about colossians we had the introductory section and the prayer okay and then we kind of moved last week where we talked about the sufficiency of Christ and just look at the entire chapter about how Christ is enough. It's not Christ plus. It's not Christ less. It is Christ and Christ alone. And that's enough. Now, from that, we're going to talk for this for chapter 3 and chapter 4 about the practical impact on our life when Christ is enough. When Christ is the center of your life, what is the difference that does that make? And so we're going to talk today about kind of the secret sauce to the whole thing. Now, prepare in the verse that we're about to read to be underwhelmed, okay? But it is the secret sauce to what Jesus wants to do whenever he does his makeover works uh, in our life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. It says it like this. Put on the new self, being renewed. Being made fresh, being renovated, being made over, being renewed. This whole idea of being changed, that, that God is wanting to have, have us put on this, this new self. Oh, by the way, what that new self is, is being renewed. It's actually a passive voice verb in the, in the Greek, which just means you don't do it. I don't do it. I can't force you into it, and you can't force me into it. I can't take a pill. I can't go to a psychologist. I can't learn to do this on my own. This is something that happens to you, okay? It's not like follow these 10 rules, and you'll be a better person. 
Now, certainly there's some rules that we can follow that would get us on the right course. But it's not about what you can do that makes you new. It's not about what you can do that makes you the new self. Okay? It's what God wants to do in you. It's what Christ wants to do in you. And so there's a little bit of a, and pardon my words here, and don't, don't quote me out of context. It's a passive work. It's something that happens to you. But there is an active part, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But another time that Paul used it, this is to the church in Colossia. Go just across the Aegean Sea to the city of Corinth, and you find him saying the same thing. He said in in 2 Corinthians, it says, though your outer self is wasting away. Now, there's not a person in this room that would disagree with that. If you stood in front of the mirror today, you saw a new wrinkle, a new bulge, a new gray hair. You saw something that just reminded you that your body is wasting away. That's the good news. Happy thoughts, okay? Um, Now, that's the reality news. But now, notice the next thing. But our inner self, same word, is being renewed day by day. So even though my old body is getting older and older and I can't do what I used to do and I can't bend over and I can't squat and I can't reach and I can't pull without pulling the fat or a muscle or something like that, you know, all of a sudden I'm reminded how old I'm getting at the same time I'm being renewed every single day. So there's a new part of me that's actually getting younger, that's actually getting stronger, that's actually getting better. That's actually becoming more fit. That's exactly what he's trying to say here. He said, listen, there's a new thing that's happening inside of you that whenever you are a follower of Christ, that he is wanting to continue to renew and renew and renew and make new every single day of your life. Now, I want us to get, to get into the context of this. So look in Colossians chapter 3, and let's read the last part of this section that we're going to look at today. In verse 9, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take a new you. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you uh, have uh, put off the old self. You have put off. There's an old you. There needs to be a new you. There needs to be a renewed you. And this is how he's going to do it. The old self, what it practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed. All right? In knowledge. After, this. what are you going to look like when you're done? What's the design? What's the template? What's the blueprint of your, of your existence? That you're going to be made in the image of the Creator. So God is wanting to do this renewing work in you that will forever change you, that's going to take you back to what God intended you to be in the beginning. Okay, whenever he made Adam and Eve and put him in the garden, he said he made them in the likeness of his image. He's trying to take us back to that image. So we need to be thinking about how can I get back to God's original design in my life, in my marriage, in my money, in, in every area of my life. Okay, now let's keep going. Here there is not Greek. Now I love this because what he does is he just takes down every wall that exists. See, we exist and we build walls. God comes in and he tears down walls, socioeconomic walls, racial walls, gender walls, all those kind of walls, they come down. He said, and uh, being renewed, he says, here is, uh, there is not Greek, there's not Jew, there's not circumcised, there's not uncircumcised, there's not barbarians, Scythians, or slaves or free. But Christ is all in all. 
That is the most beautiful. When Christ is all in all, whenever Christ is fully magnified, when fully seen, there's no doubt that that person is a Christ follower. They don't even have to declare themselves a Christian. They, everyone knows that they're a follower of Christ. They look like Christ. They act like Christ. They smell like Christ. They are little Christ. They're taking on the image of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, is that I now am carrying out the image that He wanted me to carry out in the beginning, that Christ is all in all. Now, that's a beautiful ending, right, to the story. That's the last part of the verse that we're going to read. Let's go to the beginning, because it's the conditional part, okay? You start chapter 3, it says this, because you won't see verse 11 unless you see First of all, verse 1. Verse 1 says it like this. If then you have been raised with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. If then you have experienced the resurrection of Christ. If you have experienced the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. If you have walked in and entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We had last Sunday, we had four people in our first gathering, three people in our our second gathering that gave, declared themselves as, hey, I want to follow Jesus Christ. They raised their hand. They prayed their prayer. They they talked with God. And listen, I, I know it's not raising a hand. I know it's not saying magic words in prayers, but it is the beginning. It's that starting point. That, they, hey, I want to have a relationship with Christ. I want to be in Christ. I want to connect with that resurrected Christ. It changes everything. It starts a process that doesn't end there. So many people, when they look at their faith and they talk about their faith, they talk about a day that they raised their hand, a day they prayed a prayer, a day they got dunked in water. They talk about a day. And a day is important, but it's the ongoing work of God in us. That's equally important. It's the finished work of God in us that is extremely important. In fact, you can say it like this. In a short statement is that I am saved. There was a point in time in my life when I had this encounter with Jesus Christ. And for me, it was when I was eight years old. But there's a day that's coming that I will be saved that glory will come and I will experience heaven and I will go to heaven when I die or or Jesus will come back again. But somewhere in the middle in here, I am being saved. So I am saved, I am being saved, present tense, and I am going to be saved in the end. Theologically, if you open up a, a systematic theology book, you'll find that we're talking about justification, sanctification, and glorification. That's really what we're talking about. Now, what we're talking about today is we're not talking about, we're talking about right in the middle, the peanut butter and jelly between two pieces of bread, all right? Sanctification. What is God doing in my life as I live out my life day in and day out? How is He saving me? How is He changing me? How is He doing this extreme makeover? And let me just say this. I can't say it. If I've said it once, i got to say it a thousand times. It is not simply putting a coat of paint on the outside of your house. It is not simply going in and tearing up the old carpet and putting down new carpet. It might mean looking at the subflooring. It might mean tearing the sheetrock off and looking at the studs. It might mean a total 
revamping of the entire plumbing and electrical system. It might mean a complete gutting of the house. When God does his extreme makeovers, it will change you from the inside out, from the outside in. There's not one part of our life that's not touched whenever he does his work in us. Now, with that being said, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter and you'll see it all unfold. Verse 1 to 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, here's what happens. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you have died, and you were uh, hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you also will appear with Him in glory. Again, that's that I will be saved statement. Verse 5. Because of all of everything we just read, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here's a few things in case you wonder, want to know what those are. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetedness, which if you didn't know that, that's idolatry. On account that these are the wrath of God is coming. In these... You too once walked when you were living in them. Literally, they are a part of who you were. They're not anymore, okay? Verse 8. But now you must put away all. You must put them all away. Not some, all of them. Here's a few more in case you missed them. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, uh, obscene talk uh, from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, but, but Christ is all in all. I ask the question to you today. What's it going to take to see an extreme makeover in you and in me. There's two things. There's an inside, there's an outside. There's an interior, there's an exterior. And the way I would say that is there's a being and there's a doing. Let's talk about the being first. I must be intentionally aggressive in my pursuit of God. I'm going to break that down for you in a moment, but just get it, get it down on paper right now. I need to be, being, I need to be in this relationship. I need to invest myself in this relationship with God. Now, I ask you this question. I want you to self-examine yourself right here and now. If you were to call your relationship a marriage with God, what is that relationship like? Okay? Are you, here's some options, are you, in a non-relationship with God? Are you dating God? Are you married but distant from God? There's several answers to this question. So I want you to take out your phones and we're going to give you the options on the survey, okay? You're going to take out your phones and you're going to text in to, to this number, 22333. Text, first of all, this, this phrase, GPCNWA. That will enter you into the survey. You'll immediately get a text back that you're going to put A, B, C, 
D, or E. So let me explain these to you. And here's from our first gathering, and this, this will be a live poll that will continue. So here's one is I'm relationship-less. Mike, I don't even know why I'm here. Or I'm here because that person brought me here. I don't want to be here. I got other things to do with my life, okay? That may be you, all right? If that's you, then you're a letter A. No, 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 no shame, no guilt-free zone here, okay? Uh, or, or shame-free zone here. Letter B, I'm exploring and I'm seeking. I'm not there, Mike. I, don't, I, I know I don't have a relationship with God, but I am diving into this. I'm checking it out. I don't know. I don't know if Jesus or Buddha or whom. Uh, I don't know if this church or that church or what. I'm just checking it all out. Or maybe I'm in a dating relationship with God. Hey, I want to know God. I want to be with God. I want to hang out with God. I, I want him to be my best friend. I, I want to be best friends with God. You know, but hey, if I don't see him for a couple of days, if, if we don't have a, a day-to-day conversation, then I'm okay. Because it's different. Because once you get married, you're moving in together, okay? Which is the next one. Maybe you're married to God, but maybe you're distant in your marriage, okay? Maybe you've been married to God and, yeah, I've, I've, Mike, there was a time in my life when, talk about being saved, I was saved. But man, I can tell you right now, that whole walk with God thing, it's pretty distant, okay? I'm not really, well, I, I, don't, I, I pray when I get in trouble. I pray whenever I need him. But I don't pray on a regular basis, and I certainly don't hear him, okay? Then you'll put letter D. Letter E is I'm married and I'm intimate with God. He and I are together. I meet with him regularly, and I can't get enough of him. Okay, I hear him. When he talks, I hear him, all right? And I want to follow him. I do everything I can to set aside, make him a priority in my life. Which of those categories? Text in your response, and you can see kind of where we are right now. Again, judgment-free zone, I appreciate the honesty because this right here tells us a lot about where we are as a church. How do we get past the distant? How do we move beyond dating? How do we deep dive? And how do I become one of the 33% of Grace Point that says I have an intimate relationship with God? I'll tell you this, you will not do it in a half-hearted way. You will not do it in a passive kind of way. You will do it because you aggressively and intentionally wake up, live your life on mission, on mission to connect with God, on mission to be in relationship with God. So let's, let's, let's look at these verses here. So where, 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 do, I, where do I get this? No, first of all, Francis Chan said this. I read it this week, and it kind of got me under conviction. A person decides how close they really want to be to God. Now, I know that's not that profound. But when I read that, I thought, that puts it on me. Is he right? That I get to decide how close I'm going to be to God? Absolutely. God is the initiator of the relationship. I'm the responder. God is the inviter. I'm the rejecter. Or I'm the, I'm the passive one in, in the relationship. Because he says, no one comes to me, to the, to the Father, except through me. Nobody goes to God except through Jesus, okay? Nobody, in other, other verses, it says nobody goes to him unless the Father calls him, unless the Spirit draws him, okay? John chapter 14, verse 6. But also mankind is the responder to it. It says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. 
draw near to me, and he will draw near to you. God wants to be close to you, but if you don't want to be close to God, guess what? You won't be close to God. If you want to be close to God, guess what? You draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. Now, when you come back to this passage that we just read, did you catch the very first words out of his mouth? If you have been raised with Christ, what are you to do? Seek the things that are above. That Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on the things above. So two different times he says he focuses on, on the above. He talks about seeking. He talks about setting our, our minds and our hearts and our heads on something. So I want us to talk about our heart and I want to talk about our head because they, they both are how we seek after God. First of all, our heart. Seek the things that are above. In, in, in the NIV it says it like this. Set your heart on the things that are above. Where is your heart in a relationship? Well, if it's not in love with Jesus, what's it in love with? That's what Jesus calls us. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Listen, I know we seek a lot of things, but listen, what we need to seek more than anything else, what we need to seek first and foremost in our life is relationship with Jesus. And if that's mute, if that's passive, it won't happen. You know, we've been talking about these IDPs. If you don't know what that is, that's an intentional discipleship plan. And we've been getting them from everybody. And I love it. I love, I love reading them. I love praying through them. Every single one that I get, I pray through. Got one this past week from a, a junior high in, in, in our student ministry. They, they wrote theirs. And, and I know teenagers, man, you know them. I mean, it's like social media and screens, and they're constantly with this, and they can't get a, It's called the screen generation. Some people have called this generation because they're always like this. And it was, it was the simplest, the simplest of, of, of responses. I want to do my version Bible study before I get on social media every morning. I thought, man, that's just as basic as you can get. But you know what that did? That just did this. That put the priority of what I'm going to seek in the morning, how I'm going to start my day, is I'm going to be with Jesus in a, in a version Bible study. And I got on, I thought, man, oh, there's a lot of version. There are more version Bible studies than there are books in the Library of Congress. Listen, you don't have to buy another devotional book. Just download the free Bible app and you got every devotion that you can have. You want one on fear? You want one on trusting God? You want one on reading through the Bible? There's one for everyone. But what the problem is, is that we we don't seek after that. We seek after social media. Ask yourself this. You answer this. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning when you grab this thing? Do you go, well, what? God's going to say to me today. Or do you go, I wonder who liked my photo of my cat. Think about it. What do you go to first? Because what you go to first, and that's why Jesus said seek first, what you go to first, what you go to foremost, what you are most passionate about, that's what you're seeking after. And sometimes it's not social media. Sometimes it's It's an email. What did the buyer do in China last night? What are the reports saying about my job today? Stop it. 
Are we going to set our minds on the things above? What's our heart going to be? What if we started seeing our life, our careers, our lives as being about God? So let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about a heart pursuit, but let's talk about a head pursuit where I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate a, a good portion of my cranium to God. I'm going to say, okay, God, I want you to take my mind and I want you to shape and I want you to mold my mind. Researchers have said, Archibald Hall being a longtime psychologist, he said this researchers have shown that, one of, uh, that the thoughts of our, our life influence every aspect of our being. So what are we focusing in on? What's the number one thing that's, that's grabbing at us? What, because what we think, that's what we are. We are what we think. I said that one time in a college Bible study, and this guy said, I, I think about girls. I must be a girl. <laughs> well, that may be the case. Uh, what are you thinking about? What is it that's on the frontal lobe of your mind? What is it that is consuming your thoughts? You know, do you, can you look at your life? Can you look at your career? Can you look at your, you wake up in the morning and to go sell widgets to Walmart? Or can you wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I, I can leverage my career and my calling for, for the nations. Have you ever thought about your neighbors? I got convicted a few years ago whenever I didn't know the neighbors that literally joined my property. Neighbors. We just pull in our subdivision, pull into our garages, shut the garage door behind us, go into our back porches, and we never talk. I intentionally put myself on mission to know all the neighbors around me. I now have a dedicated day that I pray for each one of my neighbors. What if I stopped living in my neighborhood and started being a neighbor? That would be after actually seeking after the Lord, after giving my mind to the thoughts of God. See, the problem is, is that we don't. We have so many other things that are crowding our minds. Set your minds on the things that are above. It doesn't mean that I'm so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. But it means my mind is set on the things of God. And whenever, whenever Peter struggled with what God said he was going to do when he had to go to the cross, what did, what did he say? No, 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 don't talk about this cross stuff. Don't talk about this death stuff. And what did Jesus tell him in Mark eight thirty three? He said, you do not have the mind. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Paul emphasized that that their minds were on earthly things in Philippians chapter 3. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, you need to take all those rebellious thoughts and you need to bring them to obey Christ. See, walking with God is a matter of me being in passionate relationship with him. And about giving them the thoughts of my life. It's not just a to-do list. It's about a relationship. It's about me investing in Him and He's going to invest in me because what happens is I want to come back to the very word that I started this with. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Be renewed. How did Jesus say, how did Paul say he was, God was going to do His work? He was going to renew us. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You know, a relationship with God is a little, it's no different than a relationship with the person you love. You're going to have to seek them. I tell people in a counseling situation when their marriage is like this, they come in the room and they sit on the couch and I can tell 
literally, I can measure the intimacy of their marriage by how far of a space between them on, on the couch. And it's almost like they come in and one sits there. And boy, if one comes in and sits on the couch and the other one sits in the chair, I thought, man, I got a lot of work to do to bring this back together. You get a newlywed couple in the room or a a to-be-married couple in the room, they sit on each other. (laughs) I mean, they, you know, because you were there once. Maybe you're still there. Hopefully you are. But what happens is you start seeking after other things. You start turning your attention in other directions. You stop losing that passionate desire. The only way you're going to do it is to go stop this world. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to pour myself back into you. That's exactly what we've got to do with Jesus. He's going to change us from the inside out. The interior redesign is us learning to seek him like never before. There's an internal working. There's a being, but there's also a doing. Okay, there's an external. Out with the old and in with the new. And how how does this happen again? You go back to verse the earlier verses there in Colossians 3. Set your minds on things above and so on and so forth. And he says, for you have died. Again, you were raised with Christ. Verse 1. Verse 2. You have died. And your life is hidden, I love that phrase, hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ. That idea is is one of secrecy and safety and security and identity. You are Christ and Christ is you and you are in Him and He is in you and you are one. That's a beautiful thing. That's how we enter into this relationship and that's how we keep moving in this. Look at this next statement. When Christ, who is your life. So, at the end of this sentence, <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice is going up. I've got a cold. Uh, the end of the sentence, fill in the blank. Who are you? Who are you? He said in that statement, Christ is your life. And if you can't wholeheartedly say that, then I I beg you to come to Jesus today. And what happens is he begins to work his work on the outside. You know, we've been talking, we we study in our culture for a lot of years, behavioral change. How do you see change in, in people's lives from Aristotle to Freud? We've been talking about how to see change in people's lives. And, and they, they, they discovered this, that change happens, but it happens in short sprints. We'll have a new year's come. Well, everything that we ate for the past month and a half, we got to lose that. So we go on a new, we go on a fitness binge in the new year. We've been told for years that vegetables will, you eat more vegetables, it will make you healthier. Scientists have said that we eat less vegetables per capita a day than before we knew that vegetables were healthy for us. What happens whenever we we tell our children to go to the bathroom, to go to the bathroom and wash your hands? Well, we know that there's less disease if we wash our hands, but yet you go into public restrooms and you watch people walk out and not wash their hands. We know we'll be healthier. We know that we'll we'll, we'll live longer. We know that... If we stop smoking, 70% of smokers 
want to stop smoking, but only 3% will stop in any given year. We know that this is a better way, but we can't seem to get from the ideal. We can't seem to get from the reality to the ideal. That's a life change. I'm going to say it happens from the inside out. It's not just simply taking on a to-do list. Notice what he said in verse 5 and following. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists about nine to ten things that I try as best I could to summarize them, to categorize them. Nine to ten things that if you're going to walk with God, these things have got to go away. One is sexual perversions. I'm going to get real here for a moment. And I I don't want to talk about this because I know there's 13-year-olds in this room. At the same time, listen to this. I heard this this past week. That the age of exposure or pornography has so decreased now that the youngest age is now six years of age. Not on purpose. They got there by accident. Typed in the wrong address. Got there by accident. It begins to morph and change their brains to where they're drawn back and they go back. It's very dangerous. We have a culture, and I wrote this out, so I want to, I'm going to read this because I want to make sure. It's going to be a little touchy. We live in a world of sexual morals without sexual morals, directions, or boundaries. We are ruled by, listen to this, addictions, obsessions, perversions, sexual identity crises, unnatural and unsustainable attractions to same sex. That is unnatural and unsustainable. It was not a part of God's design. It was not how God planned it. When he gave sexuality to mankind, it was to be beautiful, one man, one woman, one life together forever. It was to be a gift that you gave one another and you celebrated with one another. But in this day, as a result of secular humanism, we now have sexual, humanistic sexuality to where it is now nothing more than a transaction between two people, willing people, that is. The phrase single and mingle is thrown around with regularity. We live in a day that we're in trouble and we don't realize it because we want our freedoms. We want our liberties. We want our choices. And it's away from God's perfect design that he's trying to move us back to. It's in his plan to move us back here. Levi Lusco said it like this, sex is a gift from God and it needs to be governed by God. And until we can go back to that, I don't think we're going back to the image that he wants us to bear, the image of our creator. Let's think about it. I got more to say on that, but I'll stop there. Number two, greedy desires is another thing. If one's an internal sexual passions that are, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. The second one is greedy desires. And man, I tell you what, evil desires, covetedness, which by the way is idolatry. Now, here's one thing about this. We can easily lump certain people. I'm not a covetous person, but they are, you know, and we can easily do that because there's basically two extremes to it. 
And you're at one extreme or the other. And typically, if you're at one extreme or the other, you're pointing back at the other one and say, they're the covetous one, not me. But in reality, you're either a saver or you're a spender. You're a consumer or you're a collector. And some people that are the, the consumers, I'm in the consumers. I'm the impulsive buyer in my house. Okay, I admit it. The consumers out there, it's like they can't get enough. They, they, they got to constantly buy. They're wanting that dopamine rush from that the next thing. Now, the problem is, is the collectors are self-righteous over here looking back going, man, you just need to get a grip on that as they're stowing it back, holding on to it, hoarding it. And both categories are absolutely wrong. In fact, there's verses for each one of you. If you are in this category, then Mark 6, 19 is for you. If you're in this category, I'm the saver, I'm the collector, I'm the hoarder, Matthew 25, he's got a whole story for you, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Neither's right. We've got a life to live, and God has allowed us to take on things, okay? What are we going to do with that? How do we live in the tension of the spender, collector, the hoarder, the, the, the impulsive buyer? It's one word, generosity. When we learn that God has given so that we can give, so that we can be a blessing, then we are learning. And we can invest it in the kingdom of God. And we can do things beyond. One of the things that in my IDP, and I, and I, and I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share this with you guys because I want to be real with you. Because I am in this camp and I can spend. God laid it on my heart a few weeks ago. Literally when I was working on my IDP. You like CrossFit a lot, Mike. You know that. You spend a lot buying shoes, shirts, shoes, gadgets and trinkets and more shoes and t-shirts and more shoes. That's what CrossFitters do. And... Why don't you, for every dollar you spend on you, you give one of those dollars, you give a dollar back to my work. Now, that's beyond what I budgeted consistent generosity. It was like, oh, this is what an impulsive spender will do. He will go buy before he realizes he's buying. So the very next day, I'm online buying, and I hit sent. And God said, you remember that, that thing? $85. I had to go over here and say, God, where do you want that money to go? I'm giving you my personal story. Because here, I don't want to be a covetous idolater in this world. I want to put that to death. Now, there's a lot of other ways you can look at that. and You can critique my giving and my habits and my, my addictions or whatever else. But here's the point. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get out of life. About seeking him and seeking him first. There's also emotional outburst. There are those who struggle with those. Anger and wrath and malice. And by the way, each one of these builds on the other. Anger leads to wrath. Wrath leads to malice. Malice leads to slander. Slander leads to obscene talk. And sometimes the sin is not without, but the sin is within. And we can't deal with our own anger and emotions. And we need to be dealt. Those need to be dealt with. Because what it is, it's a cancer that eats away our joy and our peace. And again, God's taking us back to a better way. One last one. And that's deceptive relationships. He says, don't lie to one another. There's 57 one another's in the scripture. The only negative stated in the negative is this one. Don't lie. 
to one another. Let your relationships be marked with authentic, transparent integrity. Is there anything in your life that you're holding back truthful with those around you? See, when God does his work, it's not a list of Ten Commandments you've got to go out and do today. It's about letting God do his work on the inside. And then it's going to be manifested on the outside. It's about him remodeling the interior and it's being manifested on the exterior. Allow God to do his work inside whenever you seek him first, foremost. Setting your mind, setting your heart on the things. Where do you start? That's where you start. And let this exterior doings come out of that. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, do your work of renewing, restoring, rebuilding. But Lord, you may first have to renovate. You may have to come in and tear out, pull down, and uproot. You may have to gut us. Do that work. Because we want Christ to be all in all.